Bhagwan. Rabbi Vizakabaya met an old peasant from the village of Aleshni who had known him when he was young. Not being aware of his rise in the world, the peasant called to him, Birol, what's new with you? And what's new with you? asked the rabbi. Well, answered the other, I shall tell you. What you don't get by your own work, you don't have. From that time on, whenever Rabbi Bear spoke of the proper way to conduct one's life, he added, and the old man of Oleshni said, what you don't get by your own work, you don't have. Consciousness has two dimensions. The one is that of having and the another is that of being. And there are only two categories of human beings, one who are struggling hard to have more and more, and one who have understood the futility of it and have changed their life into the other direction, the direction of being. They are trying to know who they are. In the world of having, you can only believe that you have something, but really you don't have anything. You come alone empty-handed, and you go alone empty-handed. And all that happens in between is almost like a dream. It appears to be true, while it is there, it appears to be real, but once it is gone, then you understand nothing was really happening. The reality has remained untouched by our dreaming. The world of having is nothing but of dreaming. The religious person is one who has become aware of the futility of it all. You cannot have anything except yourself. And all that you have except yourself is a deception, it is an illusion. And in fact, that which you have possesses you more than you possess it. The possessor finally becomes the possessed. You think you have so many things, riches, power, money, but deep down you are being possessed by those same things. You are being engaged, enchained, imprisoned by those same things. 
look at the rich people they don't purchase riches they are as poor as any other poor man in the world they are as beggars as any other beggars in fact whatsoever they purchase purchases them they are burdened by it so the first thing to be understood is these are the two doors heavy be if you are still lost into the dream of having you are in the world you may be sitting in a cave in the himalayas that makes no difference the world is still there because the world is in the very desire to purchase and nobody has ever purchased anything only one thing can be purchased and that you already have with you that is your own self your own consciousness but to have that being one has to work hard you cannot get to it easily because first you will have to detach yourself from the world of having that will be almost like a death because that's where you have got identified you are your car you are your house you are your bank balance and when you start awakening out of this dream you start feeling as if you are disappearing because all your old identities identities start disappearing one identity disappears one part of your being disappears there is emptiness left behind when all your identities disappear and simply you are left there is only pure space as pure as life as pure as death nothing else is there that is your being only that being can be purchased because that is already there you can possess only that which is already there you cannot possess anything else all desiring is desiring for the futile it leads only into frustration ordinarily even when people become religious they go on thinking in terms of a heaven possessing heaven are possessing the pleasures of having heaven but still they go on thinking in terms of having their heaven is nothing but their projected desire of having everything all that they have missed here they would like to have in the afterlife but it is the same desire the really religious person is one who has become aware of the futility of desiring of the impossibility of having anything here in this world or hereafter 
in the other world. You can only possess yourself. You can only be the master of your own being. And if you are not trying for that, and it is a hard work, there is no shortcut to it. Notwithstanding what Timothy Leary says, there is no shortcut to it. Acids, drugs are not going to help you there. That's very cheap. It is very cunning. It is a chemical deception. You want to get into the world of your innermost being without any effort. It is a dishonesty. Without earning it, you want to possess it. When a Mahavira possesses it, he has worked hard for it. When a Balsam possesses it, he has worked hard for it. He has sacrificed his whole being for it. His whole being has become just a prayer, a devotion, a sacrifice to the Divine. He is not there. He has simply offered himself totally. Then he purchases. Or when a Kabir, or a Jarthustra, they all have worked the hard way. The hard way is the only way. There exists no shortcuts. But man has tried to invent shortcuts always, in many ways. The drug trip is the latest invention of the cunningness of human minds. Just by taking a tablet or injecting a certain chemical into your body, you think you can become a Buddha. You think that you can attain to that total possession of your being. You will simply become a slave of the chemical, not the master of your being. Now there will arise a craving for the chemical more and more, again and again, and bigger and bigger quantities will be needed. Soon you will be a wreck. Soon you will be a wasteland. Soon you will be deserted by all that is beautiful and true and all that is divine. But the lure is there. The human mind thinks we can find some shortcuts. You may all remember certain dreams. In dreams you skip many stations if you are traveling in the train. You suddenly are in London and then suddenly you are in Tokyo. You skip the whole journey. The unconscious continuously craves for shortcuts. In dream it is okay, but in real life it is not possible. You cannot skip any stage and you cannot skip any station on the way. 
however fast you go, there is no way to escape anything. Faster or slower does not make eventually much difference. But you have to go all the way and you have to go the hard way. Acids, drugs have always lured men. It is nothing new. It is as old as man himself. In the Vedas they used to have Soma. And then in India they have continued down the centuries, Charas and Ganja and Opium and they have tried everything. Now the madness is spreading to all over the world. Now people are trying to find a shortcut, a very easy and cheap thing that you can purchase, that you can just swallow. Samadhi cannot be swallowed. And God is not a chemical phenomenon. You have to earn it. Only then you can have it. Then there are others, there are other methods also. It is not only that drugs are a shortcut, there are other methods also. They all guarantee you that in a very small effort, in fact with no effort at all, you can reach to the goal. Just chanting a mantra, few minutes every day. Chanting a mantra can only dull your mind. All repetition dulls the mind, makes you silly and stupid. If you simply go on chanting a mantra that kills your sensitivity, it creates boredom. It brings a sort of slumber to your consciousness. You become more unconscious than conscious. You start slipping into sleep. That's why mothers have known it always. When a child is restless and cannot go to sleep, the mother will sing a lullaby. A lullaby is a mantra. She repeats something again and again and again and the child feels bored. And the constant repetition creates a monotonous atmosphere. The child cannot escape anywhere. The mother is sitting by the side on the bed and repeating a lullaby. The child cannot escape. The child cannot say, shut up. The child has to listen. The only escape available is to go into his sleep. So that he tries to avoid this lullaby and to avoid this mother. The mantra works in the same way. You start repeating a certain word and then you create a monotonous state for yourself. All monotony is deadening. 
all monotony dulls you destroys your sharpness that has been tried in many ways in the old monasteries all over the world christian hindu buddhist in all the monasteries they have tried the same trick on a bigger scale the life of a monastery is absolutely fixed and of routine each morning you have to get up 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock and then the same circle starts then you have to do the same monotonous activity the whole day for your whole life hmm it is spreading mantra all over your life making a routine by and by doing the same thing again and again and again a person becomes more like a somnambulist whether he is awake or asleep makes no difference he can simply go on doing the empty gestures and empty movements he loses all distinction between sleep and waking you can go to the old monasteries and watch and you will see monks walking in sleep they have become robots when they get up in the morning and when they go to sleep now there is no distinction the the territories are overlapping and it is exactly the same every day in fact the word monotonous and the word monastery come from the same root they both mean the same you can create such a monotonous life <clears throat> that intelligence is not needed when intelligence is not needed you become dull when you become dull of course you start feeling a certain sort of peace a certain silence which is not real which is pseudo because the real silence is very alive throbbing the real silence is positive it has energy in it it is intelligent aware full of life and jest it has enthusiasm in it the false silence the pseudo silence is simply dull you can see it if a stupid person is sitting an idiot an imbecile is sitting you will feel a certain silence around him the same silence as you can feel near a cemetery he has a space around him which is very dull he seems to be very much indifferent to the world not in contact at all disconnected like a lump of mud 
he is sitting there. No vibration around him of any life, of any energy, nothing streaming around him. This is not real silence. He is simply stupid. When you come close to a Buddha, who is silent because of his intelligence, who is silent because of his awareness, who is silent not because he has forced himself to be silent, who is simply silent because he has understood the pointlessness of being in any way disturbed. He is silent because he has understood that there is no point in being worried and there is no point in being tense. His silence is out of understanding. It is overflowing understanding. When you come near a Buddha, you will have a totally different fragrance. The fragrance of consciousness. Not only you will feel a freshness, a breeze around him, you will feel you have also become more alive, a flame, just by being close to him. Your own inner being is lit. A lamp starts burning within you. When you are close to him, just the very affinity, the closeness, and suddenly you feel you are no more so depressed. His presence is pulling you out of the mud in which you have established yourself perfectly. His very presence is uplifting and you will feel life, love, compassion, beauty, reality. If a person goes on doing a mantra and lives a monotonous life of routine, dead, just goes into the gestures and emotions because he has to do. And he has done the same thing so many times that there is no need to be alert about it. He can do it in sleep. He has become so efficient. Efficiency simply means he has become mechanical. Then you can see that he is silent. You will see this type of silence if you come across people who practice transcendental meditation. They have stilled themselves by repeating a certain mantra. They have forced their mind to keep quiet. But this is cheap and you cannot get the real by such cheap measures. The real becomes available only when you work for it with your totality. But remember, I am not saying that the real becomes available only by our work. There is a paradox in it. You have to work hard. You have to work in a total passionate way and yet you have to remember that it does not happen by our 
work alone. It happens by grace. That is the message of Hasidism. You work hard. It never happens without your working hard. One thing certain. It happens only when you have worked hard. But that only creates the situation for it to happen. It is not like cause and effect. It is not that you heat the water to 100 degrees and it has to evaporate. It is not like that. It is not a natural law. It has nothing to do with the world of gravitation. It is a second law, a totally different law of grace. You work hard, you come to the 100 degree, then you wait there. Throbbing, expectant, alive, happy, celebrating, singing, dancing. You wait there at the 100 degree point. It is a must. You must come to the 100 degree point. But now you have to wait. You have to wait patiently, lovingly. When the right moment comes, when your work is complete and your waiting is also complete, then the grace descends. Or you can call it the grace ascends. Both mean the same. Because it comes from the deepest core of your being. It looks like descending because you have not known your innermost core up to now. It seems as if somewhere from the above is coming to you. It comes really from somewhere within you. But the within is also the beyond. Hard work is needed to attain to grace. But the real thing finally happens only because of grace. This is a paradox. It is difficult to understand it. Because of this paradox, millions of people have lost their way. There are few who say, and they are very logical. Their logic is impeccable. There are few who say that if it comes only by our efforts, then why bother about grace and God? If it happens only by our effort, then okay, we will do all the effort and we will make it happen. So they don't talk about grace, God. They will miss, because it never happens only by our efforts. Then there are people who say, if it happens only by grace, and never happens by only our efforts, then why bother? We should wait. And whenever God wills, it is going to happen. They both miss. One misses because of egoism, that only my effort is enough. Only I am enough. The another misses because of laziness, lethargy. Both miss. The one who arrives home has to follow the paradoxical path. This is the paradox, that I have to work hard, not only hard, I have to put myself totally at the stake. Only then, I become capable of receiving grace. But it happens through grace. A moment comes when I have done all that I can do, 
and then I pray that now no more is possible from my side. Now something is needed from the other end. Now you also do something. And God starts working only on you when you have done all that you could have done. If something is still lacking and a part of your being is still not involved, then God cannot come to your help. God helps only those who help themselves. This is the paradox of the Hasid. He works hard and still he trusts that the ultimate flowering is going only to be by his grace, by God's grace. And it is beautiful. We are very small. Our efforts cannot create much. Our fire is very small. By this fire alone we cannot put the whole existence aflame. We are just drops. We cannot create oceans out of these drops. But if the drop can drop into a deep prayer, the ocean becomes available. When the drop relaxes, it becomes capable to contain oceans in itself. It is small if you look only at its periphery. It is tremendously vast if you look at its center. Man is both. Man is the paradox. He is the tiniest particle of consciousness. Atom. Very atomic. And yet he contains the vast. The whole sky is contained in him. So first, these two languages have to be understood, the language of having and the language of being. And you have to change your gears from the language of having to the language of being. Let me tell you a few anecdotes. A Japanese high official confronted his daughter, I have been told that you are going out on dates with a foreigner. Furthermore, that he is an American soldier. And what is more, he is Jewish. The girl sat back, what Samak told you that? Now the word Samak tells everything. There is no need for anybody to tell anything anymore. And the person who knows only the language of having has a totally different quality to his being. The way he walks, the way he sits, the way he talks, 
the words that he uses the words that he avoids to use the people he mingles with and the people that he avoids the places that he visits and the places that he does not visit everything indicates something even single ordinary words indicate something a man who is always trying to have more and more and more even he if he comes to a master the way he comes the desire with which he comes even if he surrenders in his very surrenders you can find his language a man came to see me the way he came i could see that he is absolutely indifferent towards me it was so clear it was so loud he was not flowing towards me he had no flow in his being he was a stagnant pool of energy i was surprised i was wondering why he has come to me and then he started talking about god the word god was simply irrelevant on his tongue it made no sense he was speaking some language which he does not know how to use i was waiting because there must be something else behind these words about god he was saying i want to realize god and i want to realize myself and the way he was saying and the he the way he was expressing it was absolutely clear that he has not come for these things maybe just to be polite towards me or just to start a dialogue he was using these props and then by and by and he said i will come one day and become a sanyasin also rasid if you have come and you are a seeker and you want to realize god then why waste any more time as it is you have wasted already enough he must have been almost 65 he said that's right but right now i'm contesting the election there was a by election going on so i have come for your blessings i said why you wasted so much time talking about god talking about the soul and the meditation and indians are very proficient about such things just by tradition they have learned these words these words are in the air they have caught them they don't have any roots in their being 
just they float in their heads without any roots these words exist in them unrelated to them i said why you wasted so much time talking about god and so you should have said this the real thing in the beginning she was a little embarrassed and i told him that from the very beginning i was wondering why you have come to me because you were coming towards me and yet you were not coming towards me your language was clear and loud you were sitting here and you were not sitting here and i could see that your presence was false only physical and i could see the politician in you in fact you were talking about god as a political strategy it was your politics there are these people who say honesty is the best policy even honesty they have made it a policy policy means politics it pays to be honest they say so honesty is also a useful instruments to earn more money to earn more prestige to be more respectable but how honesty can be policy just to say such things that honesty is the best policy is to utter a profanity it is almost saying god is the best policy our meditation is the best policy our love is the best policy your language if it is of having you can use god in meditation and things but they will be just garbs masks and something else will be hidden behind them i am afraid it is bad news said the doctor to the husband of a nagging wife your wife has only a few hours left to live i hope you understand there is nothing more to be done don't let yourself suffer it is all right doc said the husband i have suffered for years i can suffer a few hours more people have different languages even if they use the same words they don't use them with the same meaning listen to the meaning and never listen to the words if you listen to the words you will never understand people listen to the meaning the meaning is a totally different thing the woman lion tamer had her beast under perfect control at her summons the fiercest lion came meekly to her and took a piece of sugar out of her mouth the circus crowd marvels all except one man mulla nasruddin anybody could do that he held from the audience would you dare to do it 
The ringmaster held back scornfully. Certainly, replied Nasruddin, I can do it just as well as the lion can. <laughs> Whenever you are listening, listen to the meaning. Whenever you are listening to a person, listen to his whole personality. And you will immediately be able to see whether the person lives in the dimension of having or in the dimension of being. And that will be very helpful for your own inner growth and for your own change of gears. Just watch people. It is easy to watch people than to watch yourself in the beginning. Because people are more objective. And there is a little distance between you and the people. And you can be more objective about people because you are not involved in them. Just watch. Make it a point. Buddha used to say to his disciples that watch everybody passing by coming, going, in the streets, watch people, see exactly what is happening. Don't listen to their words, they are very cunning. They have become very deceptive. When somebody is saying something, listen to his face, to his eyes, to his being, to the gestures, and you will be simply surprised that you have lived up to now only with words. A person may be saying, I love you, and her, his eyes may be simply denying it. A person may be smiling by the lips, and his eyes may be ridiculing it, rejecting. A person may be saying hello, and holding your hand, and his whole being may be condemning you. Listen to the language of the body, the language of the gestures, the language behind the language. Listen to the meaning and first become alert about others. Let everybody who comes to you be an experiment of awareness. Then by and by you will become able to watch yourself. Then turn your whole flood of light upon yourself, then use the same with yourself. When you say to somebody, I love you, listen to what really you are saying, not these words. Words are almost always fake. Language is very tricky. and can garb things so beautifully that the containers become so important you lose sight of the content. People have become very sophisticated as far as their surface is concerned. Their innermost core remains almost primitive. Listen to the center of the circumference. Go into each world. First, others have to be watched, then watch yourself. 
and then by and by you will see there are few moments when you also move into the dimension of being and those moments are the moments of beauty moments of happiness in fact whenever you see that i am feeling very happy you have come in contact with the dimension of being because there is no other happiness possible but if you don't observe it accurately you may mis- misunderstand it you are sitting with a woman you love or a man you love or with a friend and suddenly you feel a deep well being arising in you a deep joy for no reason at all for no visible cause just you are a glow you start finding causes outside you think maybe it is because the woman is sitting by my side and she loves me so much or because i have met the friend after so many years or because the full moon is so beautiful you will start finding causes but those who have become alert in listening to their heart to their real meanings will not be looking for causes outside they will look inside they have come in contact with their being maybe the woman you love functioned as a situation as a jumping board and you jumped into yourself it is difficult to jump when there is some antagonism outside you have to be then outside when somebody loves you you can drop all your defense measures you can drop all your strategies you can drop your politics you can drop your diplomacy when somebody loves you you can be vulnerable you can trust that he is not going or she is not going to take advantage of it that you can be defenseless and you will not be killed and crushed that you can be defenseless and the presence of your friends will be soothing it will not poison you whenever there is a situation where you can leave yourself defenseless and you can drop your strategies and your armors suddenly you are in contact with your being you have moved from the dimension of having to the dimension of being whenever it happens there is happiness there is joy there is rejoicing even if for a split second suddenly the doors of heaven open but you again and again lose it because you are not aware it happens only accidentally remember a religious person is one who has understood this accidental happening and who has understood the innermost key of it and now he does not move only accidentally into his dimension of being he has the key and whenever he wants to move he opens the door he can unlock the door and go into it this is the only difference in ordinary happiness and the happiness of a religious person the only difference is this 
that the religious person has become capable to move any time, any place into his being. Now he knows the direct route and he does not depend on outside props. You depend too much on the outside props. Sometimes you are in a beautiful house, it feels good. You are traveling in a beautiful car, the car humming and everything going beautiful, it feels good. In that feeling you start coming closer to your being. But you misunderstand, you think it is because of this car, so I have to purchase this car. Maybe the car functioned as a situation, but the car is not the cause. Maybe a beautiful house functioned as a situation, but it is not the cause. If you think it is the cause, then you move into the world of heaven, then you have the most beautiful car, you have to have it. Then you have to have the best house, you have to have the best garden, then you have to have the best woman and the best man. And you go on collecting and collecting, collecting, and one day suddenly you recognize or realize that your whole life has been a wastage. You have collected much, but you have lost all sources of happiness. You got lost into collecting things. The basic logic was that wherever you feel good and happy, that thing has to be purchased. Listen to me, that thing need not be purchased. You just watch what is happening inside you and you can start having that happening without any outside help. That's what a sannyasin is. It is not that he has to leave all that he purchases, but he has to remain alert that you cannot purchase anything in this world. Secondly, all that you possess can function only as a situation, but it is not the cause. And the cause is inside, and you can open the door without any outside prop, in any time, in any place, and you can go in and you can be rejoiced. Then he is no more attached. He can use the things, they are useful. I am not against things, remember, neither are the Hasids against things, remember. Use the things, but don't believe that things can cause you happiness. Use the things, they have a utility, but don't believe that they are the goals, they are not the ends, they are only means. The goal is within you and the goal is such that one can move directly into it without any outside help. Once you know it, 
you become a master of your being. This, whatsoever I am saying, has to be experienced by you. Just by my saying, and just by your listening to it, and understanding it intellectually, is not going to help much. Mullah Nasruddin refused the cow puncher's command to drink for three reasons. Name them, rode the terror of the town. First, said the Mullah, it is prohibited in my religion. Second, I promised my grandmother on her deathbed that I would handle not, touch not, taste not the accursed stuff. And the other reason, the third, insisted the Bali, somewhat softened, I have just had a drink, said Nasruddin. If you simply listen to me and intellectually understand me and never experiment it into your own inner lab of consciousness, it will remain just in your head. It will never become a lived experience. And unless it becomes a lived experience, it is worthless knowledge, it is junk. Again, you can start collecting knowledge, then you are again into the same trap of the dimension of a having. You can go on collecting as much knowledge, knowledge is available. So much knowledge has become available. That is one of the misfortunes of the modern man. It was never so. The only thing that has proved the greatest calamity for the modern man is tremendous amount of knowledge has become available, which was never available. A Hindu used to live with Hindu scriptures. The Mohammedan used to live with the Mohammedan scriptures. The Christian used to live with the Bible. And they were all secluded and nobody was going into the other's world of knowledge. Things were clear-cut. There was no overlapping. Now everything is overlapping. And tremendous new knowledge has become available. We are living in a knowledge explosion. In this explosion, you can start gathering information. You can become a great scholar, very cheap, very easy. But it is not going to transform you at all. Again, remember, knowledge belongs to the dimension of a having, knowing belongs to the dimension of being. They look alike, but they are not. Not even they are not alike, they are diametrically opposite to each other. A man who goes on collecting knowledge, goes on losing knowing. 
knowing needs a mirror-like mind, pure, uncorrupted. I am not saying that knowledge is useless. If you have your knowing clear, mirror-like, fresh, you can use your knowledge in a tremendously useful way. It can become beneficial. But the knowing has to be there in the first place. Knowledge is very easy again. Knowing is very difficult. For knowing, you have to pass through many fires. For knowledge, nothing is needed. As you are, you can go on adding more and more knowledge to you. A gay man about town, long on charm but short on case, surprised his friends by his sudden marriage to an extremely ugly woman whose only virtue was her well-padded bankroll. After the marriage, his friends were doubly mystified by his insistence on taking his wife everywhere with him. I can understand your marrying that painfully ugly woman for her money, one of his close friends remarked frankly, but why do you have to bring her with you every time you go out? It is simple, the husband explained. It is easier than kissing her goodbye. It is easier to have knowledge, very cheap, costs nothing. It is very difficult, arduous, to attain to knowing. That's why very few, very rare people try to meditate. Very rare people try to pray. Very rare people ever make any effort towards knowing what truth is. And whatsoever you have not known on your own is meaningless. You can never be certain about it. The doubt never disappears. The doubt remains like a worm underneath it, sabotaging it. You can shout loudly that I believe in God, but your shouting does not prove anything. Your shouting only proves one thing, that there is doubt. Only doubt shouts loudly. You can become a fanatic believer, but your fanaticism simply shows one thing, that there is doubt. Only a man who has doubt within himself becomes a fanatic. A fanatic Hindu means one who does not really trust that Hinduism is right. A fanatic Christian simply means one who has doubts about Christianity. He becomes fanatic, aggressive, 
not to prove to others. He becomes fanatic and aggressive to prove it to himself. That whatsoever he believes, he really believes, he has to prove it. When really you know something, you are not a fanatic at all. A man of knowing, one who has come to know even glimpses of God, glimpses of His being, becomes very, very soft, sensitive, fragile. He is not fanatic, he becomes feminine. He is not aggressive, he becomes deep compassionate. And by knowing, he becomes very much understanding of others. He can understand even the diametrically opposite standpoint. I have heard about a Hasid Rabbi. He was saying, life is like a river. A disciple asked, why? Rabbi, how can I know? Am I a philosopher? Another day, the Rabbi was again saying, life is like a river. And another disciple asked, why? And the Rabbi said, right you are, why should it be? This is tremendous understanding. No fanaticism. A man of knowing attains to a sense of his humor. Let this be always remembered. If you see someone who has no sense of humor, know well that man has not known at all. If you come across a serious man, then you can be certain he is a pretender. Knowing brings sincerity, but all seriousness disappears. Knowing brings a player, a playfulness. Knowing brings a sense of humor. The sense of humor is a must. If you can find a saint who has no sense of humor, then he is not a saint at all. Impossible. His very seriousness says that he has not achieved. Once you have some inner experiences of your own, you become very playful. You become very innocent, childlike. The man of knowledge is very serious. The man of knowledge always carries a serious and a gloomy atmosphere around him. Not only he carries a serious atmosphere, he makes anybody who comes in his contact serious. He forces seriousness. In fact, deep down, he is worried. He does not know anything. He cannot relax. His seriousness is a tension his anguish. He knows that he knows only for the name's sake. He knows 
that his knowledge is all fake. He cannot laugh at it. Now, listen to it. The rabbi said, life is like a river. And the disciple asked, why? And the rabbi said, how can I know? Am I a philosopher? And another day, the rabbi said again, life is like a river. And another disciple asked, why? And the rabbi said, right you are. Why should it be? You see, the non-serious. You see, the tremendous sense of humor. Hasidism has created few of the greatest saints of the world. And my respect towards them is immense because they are not serious people. They can joke and they can laugh. And they can not only laugh at others, they can laugh at themselves. That's the beauty. If you go on collecting knowledge, you can have a great amount of knowledge. But it is not going to be of any help when the need arises. You can go on throwing it and sowing and exhibiting it. But whenever the need arises and the house is on fire, you will suddenly say you have forgotten all that you knew. Because you never knew in the first place. It was just in the memory. Whenever there is an emergency situation, for example, a person is dying, he will forget all his knowledge. In that moment, he will not remember that the soul is immortal. It was advice for others. In that moment, he will not remember that he is going back to God and one should go happily and dancing. In that moment, he will start clinging to life. All his knowledge will be gone. I used to know a very learned man. And he was not only learned, he was a follower of J. Krishnamurti. A very intellectual man, famous all over the country. He used to come to me sometimes and he will say there is no need for any meditation. Because Krishnamurti says so. I used to listen to him and laugh. He will ask me why you laugh whenever I say these things. I told him again and again that I listen to you, I don't listen to what you say. And your being gives me some totally different message. If really there is no need for meditation, there is no need for scriptures, there is no need of any method, there is no need for even prayer, and you have understood it, then this would have transformed you totally. He will say seriously that that's right. I have understood intellectually, but someday I will understand it. 
non intellectually also i have taken the first step the second will be coming then one day his son came running to me and told me that father is very ill it seems like a heart attack and he remembers you so i rushed i went to him he was lying on the bed and repeating ram 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 so i shook his head and i said what are you doing your whole life you said there is no meditation what are you doing repeating ram 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 he said now don't disturb me at this moment death is at the door i am dying who knows maybe god is and who knows that the people who have always said that remember his name and he will forgive you now this is no time to create a debate or an argument let me repeat for 40 years he has not said a single mantra but now suddenly 40 years knowledge is discarded it is of no use in this dangerous situation when death is there he forgets krishna murti completely he becomes again an ordinary hindu it was okay for a ordinary hindu villager to repeat ram ram he can be forgiven but this man he has written books he has lectured all over the country he has helped many people to drop their mantras and their meditations and their scriptures and now suddenly he is repeating but he survived the heart attack and again he came to see me after 2 3 months and again he was back to his knowledge i said now you stop your foolishness because death will come again and you will repeat ram 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 so what is the point of it all a very rich old man has remained a bachelor now he was nearing 75 then suddenly a friend convinced him a married friend that you should get married you should not miss this pleasure so he decided to get married of course he had so much money he immediately found a beautiful girl after they went to their honeymoon he took the married friend and his wife with him as guides in this new exploration the next morning they met in the motel at breakfast the friend has fed him every information about sex and how to make love and what to do and what not to do next morning they met in the motel at breakfast what a fantastic time i had last night said the married man 
we went to bed last night. My wife was eager, I was eager, and we had a marvelous night of love. What about you, old man? Ah, my God, said the old rich man, I forgot clean about it. The whole life of bachelorhood. And then somebody guiding you, telling you things, and you memorize them, but they don't have any deep contact with your being. They simply float above your head. They don't touch you. The old man said, Ah, my God, I have forgot clean about it. Seventy-five years of sleeping alone create a mechanical habit of its own. If you go on accumulating knowledge, it creates a habit. It never gives you any knowledge, but it gives you a habit. A habit that you can accumulate more. And a very dangerous habit. Even if you come across a Buddha or a Jesus, you will miss, because there also you will be accumulating. You will be taking notes inside the mind, yes, this is right worth to be remembered. Your accumulation will become more and more bigger. But you will be just a dead museum, or a museum of dead things. And more you are covered with this having knowledge, the less will be the possibility for the real knowledge the knowledge that comes by knowing being, by being, will be missed. Remember, the mind is nothing but that which you have collected up to now. The mind is all that you have inside your being. Beyond the mind, is your real being. Beyond having is your real being. Outside you have collected things, inside you have collected thoughts. Both are in the dimension of having. When you are no more attached to things and when you are no more attached to thoughts, suddenly the open sky, the open sky of being, and that's the only thing worth having, and the only thing that you can really have. Now this story. Rabbi Isakhar Bayer met an old peasant from the village of Olesne, who had known him when he was young. Not being aware of his rise in the world, the peasant called to him, Beryl, what is new with you? And what is new with you? asked the rabbi. Well, answered the other, I shall tell you. What you don't get by your own work, you don't have. A tremendously significant say. Maybe 
the peasant has never meant it in such a significant way. But the Rabbah took it. It was a precious stone. Out of that ordinary peasant, he may not have meant it the way the rabbi understood it because you understand only the way you can understand. From that time on whenever Rabbi Bayer spoke of the proper way to conduct one's life he added and the old man of Olesnais said what you don't get by your own work you don't have. Now the old man must have meant in the ordinary way. He was saying that in this life you can have only that which you have worked for. There is no other way. One has to work hard to have something. That is the experience of an ordinary farmer. The farmer was not a king. Otherwise, you can have much that you have not earned by your own labor. A very great rich man once was asked, a poor man asked him, that what is the best way to get rich into the world? The rich man said, the best way is to find right parents. You can have much without ever have earned it if you were clever enough to find the right womb. Very few people are that clever. They simply rest in any womb available. You can rob, you can cheat, you can exploit. There are thousand ways, but the farmer, the peasant, really lives by his own earning. He is not a king, he is not a politician, he is not a rich man. Whatsoever he earns, that's all that he has. The farmer must have said it in the very ordinary sense, but look at the beauty of it. Whatsoever you hear, you hear from your dimension. The Rabbah heard it in a totally different way. It became a very illuminated saying into his being. A simple ordinary statement. But the Rabbah himself was in a deep meditation. The Rabbah himself was in his other dimension, the dimension of being. When you are in the dimension of being, small things, ordinary peoples become precious stones. Ordinary things take so much color, become so colorful. Ordinary events become so psychedelic. 
it depends on you on your vision from that time on the rabbi whenever he spoke of the proper way to conduct one's life used to aid and the old man said what you don't get by your own work you don't have this is true in the innermost world it is absolutely true it may not be so true in the outside world in the outside world there are thousand and one ways to be dishonest to cheat to rob to steal to exploit in fact in the outside world the workers don't have much only the cheaters the cunning people have much those who work they don't have much those who don't work they have much but in the inside world the statement is absolutely true you cannot have anything there in the being that you have not earned and it is the hard way there are no shortcuts so don't try to cheat god a man who is deluded by having things loses all opportunities of attaining to the state of being i have heard a husband took a shot at his mother in law so she brought charges against him you were drinking said the judge so i must tell you something it was liquor that inflamed you it was liquor that made you hate your mother in law it was liquor that got you to buy the revolver to suit her it was liquor that made you go to your mother in law's house point the revolver pull the trigger and fire and note it was liquor that made you miss her it is the same story the same liquor your whole life it is your ambition to have that functions like the liquor so watch it beware of it that is the only illusion in the world one day when you will go then you will realize but then it will be too late i have heard about a man he went to florida with his wife and became fascinated by the spectacle of eight horses chasing each other around a track he and his wife bet heavily and after a few days they had only 2 dollars left between them but he was a hopeful type and he convinced his wife that everything would be all right if he if she let him go out to the track alone 
a friend drove him out. There was a 40 to 1 start in the first race and he decided to bet on it. The horse came in. In every race the man begged the long search and in every race he won. By the end of the last race he had over $10,000 and he decided to press his lucky streak. On the way back to the hotel he stopped off at a little gambling club and ran his stake up to 40000 on the roulette wheel. One more play he decided and he would leave. He put the entire 40000 on black. The wheel is spun. The croupier announced number 14 red. The man walked back to the hotel. His wife called him from the veranda. How did you make out? She asked eagerly. The husband shrugged. He said, I lost the two dollars. In the end when death comes, The whole game of thousands and thousands of dollars, achieving this, attaining that, becoming this, becoming that, the power, the prestige, the money, the respectability, nothing counts. Finally you have to say only, I have lost my being. In running, rushing into the dimension of having, only one thing happens that you lose your being. A great opportunity is life. A great opportunity, in fact millions of opportunities in it, to attain to yourself, to know who you are. But that comes the hard way. You have to work for it. Don't try to borrow. Nothing can be borrowed in that inner world. And don't try to become just knowledgeable. Attain to a clarity. Attain to a vision where no thought exists in your mind. This is the hardest thing in the world. To drop thoughts is the hardest thing in the world, the greatest challenge. All other challenges are very small. This is the greatest adventure that you can take. And those who are courageous, they accept the challenge and go into it. The greatest challenge is how to drop the mind. Because only when the mind ceases, the God can be. Only when the known disappears, the unknown can be. Only when there is no mind, no you, nothing of you left, suddenly there is that which you have been seeking and seeking forever and forever. God is when you are not. This is the hardest thing to do. The last anecdote. Rabbi Grossman and Father O'Malley were seated beside each other at a bucket. 
have some hen offered the beast? I am afraid not, answered the rabbi. Come on, try some, the priest encouraged. It is real good. Thanks, but I don't eat that kind of meat because of my religion. It is really delicious, said Father O'Malley. Five minutes later, you ought to try this hen. You would like it. No, thank you, replied the rabbi. After dinner, the two men shook hands. Tell me, said the Jewish clergyman, do you enjoy sex with your wife? Ah, Rabbi, you should know I am not allowed to be married, said the priest. I can't have sex. You ought to try it, said the Rabbi. It is better than him. <laughs> that song that I can say to you. You ought to try the state of no mind, the state of being. It is better than all the worlds put together. The world of being is the only real world, the world of truth. And unless you have come to it, you go on wandering in foreign lands. You can never come home. You come home only when you have come into the innermost core of your being. And that is possible. Difficult, but not impossible. Arduous, but not impossible. Difficult, certainly. But it has happened. It has happened to me, it can happen to you. But don't cling to cheap remedies. And don't try to cheat, chemically or otherwise. And don't try to borrow knowledge. And don't go on accumulating. It is already there, accumulations only hide it. It is already there. Once you stop accumulating and you drop all the junk that you have accumulated inside you, that's what your mind is, the junk. If you drop that junk, suddenly it is there in its absolute purity, in its absolute beauty, in its absolute benediction. A wise man, the wonder of his age, taught his disciples from a seemingly inexhaustible store of wisdom. He attributed all his knowledge to a thick tome that was kept in a place of honor in his room. The sage would allow nobody to open the volume. When he died, those who had surrounded him, regarding themselves as his heirs, Run to open the book, answers to possess what it contained. They were surprised, confused, and disappointed when they found that there was no writing in that book. 
only on the first page there was one sentence. They became even more bewildered and then annoyed when they tried to penetrate the meaning of the phrase that met their eyes. It was when you realize the difference between the container and the content, you will have knowledge. Let me repeat it. When you realize the difference between the container and the content, you will have knowledge. The container is your consciousness. The content is your mind. The container is your being. The content is all that you have accumulated when you realize the distinction between the content and the container, between the mind and the being, you will have knowledge. In a single split moment, when you remember, you recognize that you are not the content, you are the container. There is mutation, there is revolution. And that is the only revolution there is in a photograph.